Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The home of endurance racing. RadioLeMans.com. Joining us now on Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM is Corvette Program Manager Doug Feehan. And Doug, it's been four years since Corvette has been able to climb to the top step of the podium here at Le Mans. And as the uh, American representative on the Radio Le Mans team, got to help a brother out here. Come on, man. You know, it, it, it kind of sounds like the end of the world, Jim. It's been four years. Let me tell you, we've been here 15 times prior to this event. We've won seven of them. Now, if we're guilty anything, it's making this thing look a little bit easier than it is. You know, there are manufacturers who have spent a lifetime and hundreds of millions of dollars trying to win this race and haven't accomplished it because it is just so difficult. But for us, having been four years without a victory is only serves to motivate everybody on this team. We've come close a couple times in those four years. Last year especially, I think we had a great chance to win. It was just a odd little occurrence that happened, and that's the way this race treats you. 25% great car, 25% great team, and 50% good fortune. We've won several on good fortune, and we've lost some on not having good fortune. Last year was a prime example of that, but it didn't have anything to do with not being competitive. It had everything to do with just good luck. So we're, uh, we've worked very, very hard over the last 12 months to get that done. After a couple of lean years, being so competitive as you were last year, what have you done in the preceding 12 months to build off of that good performance? Well, I think there's been two things largely responsible for. One is uh, kind of what I refer to as a new sheriff in town. And I, and I don't mean by that any one individual. What I mean by that is an operational philosophy, a balance of performance philosophy taken forward by the FIA and the ACO, whereby they have a committee, a technical committee set up that collects huge amounts of data and working in conjunction with all of us, not just Corvette, but all the manufacturers in GT, we've created a, prob, a, a program and a process that allows us to develop what we think is one of the best BOPs on the planet. And I think last year's race was indicative of that. This year's race is only going to prove to be even better, I believe. The second half of the equation is the fact the work that we've done as a team. Last year was the first year for the C7. We're writing the book on that car. We were really impressed with how well it adapted to the 24 Hours of Le Mans. We've uh, obviously had uh, the remainder of that race year under our belt. We've had a few races this year. We had both Daytona and Sebring where we had uh, pretty good outcomes. And, And in addition to that, over the winter... Uh, down at the Corvette Museum, the new um, uh, motorsports park, we played, the team uh, played a pivotal role in designing and laying out the track down in Bowling Green so that it had some resemblance to several of the corners here at Le Mans. We've got a significant straightaway there where we can reach speeds of about 175 miles an hour. At the end is the Mulsanne Corner, uh, essentially an exact duplicate of what we have here at Le Mans. We have a representation of the two kinks on the Mulsan Strait and a reasonable representation of the high-speed Porsche curves. Now, there's no other place in the world, certainly not in America, that you can go that's going to give you that close a representation of what we, what we encounter here. 
So we were down there for a couple of days prior to coming here, testing and getting ready. And uh, lo and behold, uh, you know, we collected data from there. We came here, we ran during the test day, and 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 the, the similarity between the two is remarkable. What we've done is simply validate the fact that the work that was done at the Motorsports Museum Park, Motorsports Park, is is going to be of great benefit to us in the future in planning for Lamar. So uh, that was one of the other key elements that we had. We th- and, and obviously. There's not many teams that have the ability to design their own racetrack on which to practice for Lamar. Corvette is one of them. You know, down that facility down there on one side of the street, you have the assembly plant. On the other side of the street, you have the Corvette Museum. And then across the expressway from those two facilities, you have the new motorsports park. It's all self-contained. It's all right there. And it's going to play a huge role in our future success here. One of the challenges that you have when you come to Lamar is the fact that you have to adapt to a new tire as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, you know, each year Michelin does yeoman's duty in, in, in developing their product just as we develop our product. And we were fortunate to have that. Last year, the way the production went, the, the, the cars in which we competed against had that tire for a couple races over here in Europe. We didn't have it in the U.S. So it was a, it was a, this was two years ago, I think. It was a, a problem for us when we got here and, and, and struggled, with, uh, struggled with the new tire as well as some other issues. Uh, last year we had a little more work with it, and we had the new car. worked out very well. This year we've got some time on the new tire, and uh, we think it holds some uh, real promise for us as well. So all those things come together. Again, it comes down to strategic partners. You know, we've got some great, great ones. We've got Mobile One lined up for our lubricants. Obviously, Michelin, a key strategic partner in our tires. I mean, if you're going to win here, you got to do it on Michelin's. You said that the C7 adapted well to this race. What do you mean by that? Well, I think when you look at in the past, you know, we've, we've touted the fact that Corvette is very representative of what we call technology transfer. And the C7 is, is really the epitome, of the culmination of all the years of work on Corvette. The C7 that you buy in the showroom is as close a representation as what we're racing on the racetrack as you can find any place. I mean, it's just amazing. And so by virtue of that fact, you know, when you've got a great production car from which to build a great race car, it's going to adapt more rapidly and and more effectively to to a racetrack and we've taken a lot of our Lamar learnings whether it be aerodynamics whether it be chassis stiffness whether it be advanced materials vehicle weight weight distribution in the car itself all the lessons that we've learned in past Lamas have gone into Tad Jecter over at Corvette Engineering and he's incorporated that as best he can into the production car that gives us a great base from which we can amalgate a vehicle and build an effective race car. You, you have great competition in the United States. Let's not discount that at all. But the competition here is particularly stiff. Here's another thing that we've learned here. If you're focusing on what the other guy is doing, that's time you should have better spent focusing on what you're doing. And that's what we do. When you come to Lamar and anyone who hasn't been here, I know it's difficult to grasp it, is all you have to do is walk around this place and look at the infrastructure investment that every manufacturer has put forward for this event, and you understand that this is the holy grail of racing. This is the Super Bowl times 10. In 2011, National Geographic declared the 24 Hours of Lamar the best sporting event in the world. 
That tells you what these manufacturers are bringing. Now, they're having the same interview someplace, and they're asking who the toughest competition's going to be, and, and they're taking a look at down at what we're doing, and they're thinking, well, it's probably Corvette. Yeah, and they're right. But we only have to look in either one of those camps, whether it be Porsche, whether it be Ferrari, whether it be Aston Martin, and I can tell you all of them are more than prepared enough and more than capable enough of winning this event. And that serves as the motivation, because when you win here, you are the best in the world. There's also, though, a great mutual respect. I can remember the days of the when it was you guys and Aston Martin, and you would almost have the hockey line handshake before and after the, the, the race. Is that, is that part of just this special event? There's a camaraderie in sports car racing that uh, doesn't exist in other forms of racing. And it's a pretty simple formula to figure out why that is. We're not racing for a million bucks a race. When you put that kind of money on the line, friendships, loyalty, all that goes out the window. This has always been and continues to be, for the most part, a gentleman's sport. And you have a great deal of respect for all your competitors. You, you kind of look at what they're doing. You pick out the things that you think maybe you can use to improve yourself. You look at the things where you might see they have a weakness, and, and you fortify yourself to prey upon that. But at the end of the day, when this is all said and done, everybody on every team understands they've just been through the war, and we've all survived in one way or another, some obviously with a little more glory than the others. But that doesn't take away from, the, uh, from just the, 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 the treasure that's the fight. And, and to be here is an honor, and everyone who participates and competes at the 24 Hours of Le Mans knows it's an honor. And that's what creates that camaraderie before, during, and after. Now, as if all the competition you have here and all the competition you have in the United States isn't enough, your crosstown rivals from Dearborn are making a lot of noise about racing in the Tudor Sports Car Championship trying to bring four cars here next year and racing in the world endurance championship you say bring it well first of all let me say this i'm going to finish with bring it okay but i'm going to start out by saying and those of you who may not know i mean i started my professional racing career inside the ford motor company so some of those people are still there it's obviously a hallowed name here at le mans the great rivalries of the late 60s between Ford and Ferrari, they helped put Le Mans on the map. They're a respected global manufacturer, obviously a competitor of ours in the showroom and now on the racetrack. But, but, but there's, there's, a, there's a, a, an old epic line that says competition improves the breed. That's, those are not just words. It does that. And it serves as additional motivation. And it also adds to the drama of the race. It also adds to the credibility of the race, both here and stateside. Having Ford come aboard signifies, A, they recognize the value of sports car racing when it comes to selling vehicles, and B, they're not afraid to go and compete with the best they can bring. Those are the kind of things that makes fans come out to the races, that creates brand loyalties and allegiances, and that's what drives the automotive industry. I can tell you this, the first automotive race started as soon as the second car got built. (laughs) Having Ford come aboard couldn't be at a better time. I think it speaks volumes for the value of, of, of sports car racing in America and certainly the proven value of sports car racing in Europe. We're happy to have them aboard and, and I can't wait for them to, to, to get out here next year and back to where we started this conversation. Bring it, baby. 
Is there any possibility that Doug Feehan, the, the man who does occasionally have to put on the coat and tie and go to the boardroom, is going to be pushing to perhaps expand the Corvette program to um, have a more international footprint? You know, that's a question that we're, we're often asked. You know, I, I, when are you going to compete in WC? Are you going to compete in WEC? First of all, we must understand that, that Corvette is a U.S.-based manufacturer with its one single assembly plant and a finite number of vehicles they can build per year. I think we had a, a pretty much a record year last year. I think we sold 38,720 or some dramatically large number for, for a first year uh, of the C7. Racing in Europe, what we need to accomplish from a marketing standpoint at this point in time can be done by our competition at Le Mans. We have put Corvette on the global map by wanting running one race a year. Now, if you look around, you'll notice that there's another Corvette here this year, Labra Competition, and three years prior to that, competing in the GTM class, they won two Le Mans in a row. So now it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for us to go ahead and start competing against our customers who want to race in Europe. Thus far, our formula has been we're going to race in America, we're going to race at 24 hours of Le Mans, and we're going to leave the European stuff to our very, very capable European partners. We'd like to continue on with that. It's a formula that works for us. Would we like to compete in WEC on a global basis? Of course. But, you know, you have to look around and see how much we're doing at Chevrolet and at Cadillac as far as on a, on a global racing perspective. In the U.S., I mean, we've got drag racing going on, we've got NASCAR going on, we've got Cadillac racing, we've got Corvette racing, we've got Chevrolet, Corvette, Daytona prototypes. There's a, there's a finite number of motorsports budget that makes sense to the company and makes sense to our stockholders. And right now, I think we've created a tremendous balance between the funding that we've allocated, how we spend it, and the victories that we're achieving to advance that and increase budgets to such an extent where you'd have to you know, start battling on the European front. At that point in time, you really have to look, does that make economic sense? I'm not suggesting it doesn't. Is all I'm saying is it's just not a decision a couple of guys sitting in a boardroom and saying, hey, let's go race in Europe. You know, it's got to make sense, and it's got to have value for selling vehicles. At the end of the day, that's how we're measured. How many cars did we sell? And I don't mean race cars. I mean production cars. And right now, I think we've created a tremendous balance there. So short-term, easy answer is no. Long-term, I can tell you this, every year we evaluate what we accomplished, we evaluate what our future goals are, and we evaluate all opportunities, and nothing is off the table, and that takes place every 12 months. Would you see perhaps with Labra increasing the factory's involvement with them, whether it be support with newer equipment or, or that sort of stuff to, to help them face the, the Ford challenge? Let me say this. First off, our partners are so well organized and so well developed and, and, and have spent years, I mean, library competition is a, is a first-class operation. They have access to anything and everything that we have. Anything that we have, they have access to. Now, they drive their own budgets, and they determine what they think they need to be competitive. 
And at this juncture, thus far, they've been very, very satisfied with what we've been able to provide. The results have shown that. Um, we have engineering services that are available to them. We have a, a, a Pratt & Miller personnel embedded in that team right now. That's something that we don't we supply it, but they pay for it. And, and, and when you do business that way, motorsports makes sense. When you start just filling out blank checks and throwing money to the wind, that's when eventually it's going to catch up to you. Somebody upstairs is going to look at it and say, what are you doing? And we've just been very prudent, I think, in the way we've allocated our funding. And I think our results prove that it can be done, and it can be done on an economical basis. Well, Doug, thank you very much for your time, and and good luck in, in 2015. Any predictions? Never prediction. Here's my prediction. We are as well prepared as we can possibly be. 25, 25, 50, baby. I, I know we got the first two 25s. I want the 50. When I get that good fortune and we pass it on to these guys, we're feeling pretty good about it. Thank you very much to Doug Feehan. I'm Jim Roller. Bye for now. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.